I would ask that you take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to start with the 41st verse as we are continuing to study Luke during this Christmas time. Luke chapter 2, 41 through 52 is our text today. It is, of course, no uh, surprise that the lectionary would take us on this third day of Christmas to the only childhood story that we have of Jesus Christ. It's a fascinating story. But the question that many people have asked down through the years is, why aren't there more stories about his childhood and his teen years and even his young adult years? Why is the Bible silent about his entire childhood? And what is it that caused the scriptures to include this one story when he's 12 at the bar mitzvah time, when he's just becoming uh, fully functional as an adult and he declares his purpose in his life? Why is this the only story? Well, the answer to that, the scholars tell us, is twofold. First of all, this is very important story. It's the only one, it seems, that mattered that would make it into the Bible. And so it's a story that has deep significance. And so that, of course, is the second reason. That we need to understand what did Jesus know and how did he understand it. But I want to take you back for just a little bit uh, to how some have tried to fill in the gap that the Bible left out. One of the uh, Gospels that was written, there are like 17 to 18 different uh, Gospels. Only four of them are considered inspired by God and included in the Scripture. But there was a uh, Gospel that was written in about the second century, 150 years after Thomas, that is called the Infancy Gospel of Thomas. And so, of course, he didn't write it because he was long dead. It also comes from the Gnostic tradition, which is uh, a perversion of Christianity that grew up in the second and the third century. It is believed also to be written by a Gentile who was well-versed in Greek mythology, who understood the Greek gods and the Greek pantheon and how they acted. And in fact, there's a lot of the elements in this Uh, infancy gospel of Thomas that has the same kind of feel as it has when it's telling about the early years in some of the Greek gods. And uh, there are some alarming things that uh, are in the book. One of them is is just uh, an interesting uh, little story of how Jesus, when he was a boy, made some birds out of clay and the birds came alive and flew away. Now that story is also in the Quran which is another uh, distortion of the true description of who Jesus is. Another episode, though, that's not so um, uh, just interesting, but rather alarming, is in the infancy gospel, there's a moment when Jesus had collected some water, and a child, another child, came along and took the water and dispersed it to other people, and Jesus got angry at him, cursed him, his body withers up and dies. Similar to that is another account in the infancy gospel where a child accidentally bumps into Jesus and Jesus again gets angry at him, curses him, and he dies. 
Now, I get the image from the infancy gospel in my mind of a, a rather vindictive Darth Vader who's controlling everyone by anger and, and, uh, and power. A very, very, very different uh, depiction than what we have in the canonical gospels, in the Bible books. And uh, they are, in fact, uh, distractions. And you could actually say disturbing, uh, destructive presentations of who Jesus is. Um, coming centuries later, of course, than when Jesus left uh, the Quran many centuries later. Another example, though, of the, the attempt to fill this in goes after Jesus was 12 and as he was into his young adult years. It is called the Aquarian Gospel. This work claims to tell us what happened during the ages of 12 to 30. Now, as Jesus came of age, and, and rabbis could not teach until they were 30 years of age, and so Jesus was preparing to do his public ministry, which could only begin at that time. But this book itself claims to be a knowledge encoded in the non-physical realm that came into our consciousness. Uh, the book has been adopted by many New Age uh, spiritual groups. Now, what the Aquarian Gospel explains is that during the 18 years that, from 12 to 30, that Jesus travels to the centers of wisdom in India, Tibet, western India, Persia, Syria, Greece, and Egypt. In each of these capital cities, he is educated, he's tested, he teaches the religious leaders, and Jesus inevitably proves that he is God's chosen one, the Christ in these locales. And he brings back then into Judaism and then thus into Christianity a multicultural wisdom and confidence. But the Christ of Eastern religion is very different from the Messiah, the Christ of Judaism and of Christianity. The Christ in New Age spirituality is a consciousness it's an enlightenment that anyone can achieve. And so the message of the gospel is hijacked uh, by the New Age religion. And they call themselves New Age because it's a different form of understanding Christ consciousness. And so any person can become Christ conscious and can become uh, a citizen of the age of Aquarius in this new era. Now, as you can see, these attempts to feel the silence of the Bible's account of what happened to Jesus from the age of two coming back to Egypt and the age of 30 when he started his public ministry is a distraction, a distortion. It, it actually uh, takes us away from the biblical Jesus. But the biblical account of what happened at the age of 12 is profoundly important because it takes us into a deeper understanding of who Jesus really is and what his consciousness was. What was he aware of in terms of his purpose and his journey in life? Now we see that, that Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, favor with God and with humanity as he sat within the home of Mary and Joseph, as he studied at the synagogue of Capernaum, as he went on his annual journey, as everyone did, to Jerusalem, as he sat with the priests and learned and, and explored together with them what it meant uh, to be a follower of God.
So we're going to go to that singular incident now. It's only recorded in the Gospel of Luke. It's not in the other synoptics, nor is it in the Gospel of John. So Luke chapter 2, we're going to go 41 through 52. And as I mentioned last week, Luke is the physician who got most of his information, we think, from Mary herself. And so this is most probably as we end, he ends the account by this is something that Mary put away in her heart. And that's his, his uh, giving credit to her for the story. The boy Jesus at the temple. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were not aware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and anthropos, meaning humanity, men and women. Keep that open before you and let's pray. Father, to understand Jesus, we need to know what he understood, why he came, what was his purpose, how this divine human one changed everything. And so each one of us today want to, to come before you and to understand, Jesus, please express yourself to every person who is here. And then help us understand how we're to live as you lived. We do it all to your glory and your praise. Amen. Years ago, when our two boys were in high school, we decided we would take a, a, a trip to Boston and back by car. And of course, at that moment in their life, the most important thing in the world was Major League Baseball. And so we planned the trip by going to the different uh, parks and the ones that were playing a game, we would see a game there. And so we were in New York City, and we were going to see the Yankees, and we got on the subway, and, and we were heading, and it was a very crowded uh, kind of experience. And as we got off the, high, off the subway, we realized that our little family of four had been adopted by two different young adults. One was a young man, and one was a young woman who didn't know each other. But as we were walking along, it was very clear that they were walking along with us. And so we started talking and asking and come to find out that they said the safest way to travel in the city, if you're a single person, is to just kind of connect yourself to a family. And then everyone leaves you alone because you're with others. Now, in this 
incident, we see clearly it was true as well in the ancient world. In the ancient world, you were very vulnerable to being beaten and robbed if you were found by yourself uh, traveling down a road. And so everyone traveled with acquaintances, with family. They would go together as a group. And so when Jesus is gone, he was putting his family at risk because now Mary and Joseph have to go back by themselves and find Jesus. Now, what is not said, of course, in the story is that Jesus must have been a very compliant young man because they didn't look for a whole day. They expected him to be in their midst. I know with my boys, I would have checked when we left the temple. I would have checked when we left the, the city. I would have checked the first time we sat down to eat and they weren't there. I would have been looking for them. But they did not even think about it for a whole day. Now, of course, Jesus would be with us. That's the kind of person. Jesus says. But now, as I said, he's placed Mary and Joseph in danger. They have to leave their traveling book, the group. They have to go back. I can only imagine the anxiety that they're feeling for the first time having lost this precious, precious child. As I've told you before, Cheryl and I only had one episode of that where we lost Ben when he was five at Fiesta. And we only lost him for 15 minutes. And I went through everything that happens to a child. And I was sure it had happened to him. So I can only imagine what Mary and Joseph experienced for three days looking for their son. Now think about the fact that it took three days. How well did they know Jesus? And to kind of put it in perspective, think for yourself, if, if your child was missing or if your spouse was missing or if your sibling was missing, how well do you know them that you would know where to look to find them? Now, in fairness, the scholars say that probably the three days included the day they walked away from Jerusalem, the day they walked back to Jerusalem, and then that day where they're looking all over Jerusalem. But the question, of course, would be, why didn't they look immediately in the temple? Why didn't they know that's where Jesus would be? I've raised two 12-year-old boys, as I just told you. And if they were missing, I asked myself, would I go to church to find them? <laughs> and, of course, the truth is, I probably would, but they'd be down in the basketball court with Doug playing playing basketball. I don't know they'd be sitting up in a circle talking theology. But Jesus went to the temple. You see, this story tells us a lot about who Jesus is and what he knew about his mission. First, and obviously, we learn from this instant that Jesus was a typical human preteen who would not really think about the fact that going away and not telling his parents would cause his parents anxiety. Unlike the infancy gospel that makes Jesus somehow something more than human, more a capricious Greek God who's out to get people, the Bible explains clearly that Jesus was a normal child, born in the normal way, raised in a normal home. And he would 
have the same increase in wisdom and stature and favor that any human being would have. And we know that the development of a human being means that they don't really have these frontal lobes that would consider what their parents would be feeling and thinking until they get a little older. A preteen would not quite be there yet. And so here's a typical preteen who's simply not thinking because his brain's not fully developed about what Mary and Joseph are feeling. And that just shows us that Jesus was human. He was human in the way that he experienced his life and the way he lived it. My experience with young preteens and even teenagers is that they oftentimes hurt those around them not out of any kind of intention, but out of a lack of awareness of what it is the other would go through if they continue to act in the way that they're acting. And so oftentimes the damage that occurs is not an intended damage, as I'm sure it was not with Jesus. But the first thing we know about Jesus from this story is that he was truly human. He was, he was limited by the developmental stages that all of us are limited to as we grow into our adulthood. Second, we know that he was aware of who his father is, his heavenly father, and what he came and was supposed to be doing with his life. We see this clearly when he says, Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now the Greek there is far more complex than that simple sentence in English implies. What he actually says is, didn't you know day? And the Greek word there simply means, and it goes back to deo, which deo means to be bound with a rope. You have no option but to be connected to this. And day means in this third person to be, in fact, necessarily connected to the father and his and and here it's an interesting thing the greek does say didn't you know i would be about my father's but it doesn't say his father's what it is only implied and so the greek would be very simply saying in the silence of it that didn't you know i had to be doing my father's Purpose, business, plan, accomplishment, house. Didn't you know that I? it is necessary for me to be about my father's work? Now that's a profound statement. Remember, this is not 30-year-old Jesus who has had the time to truly become mature in his thinking, his theology, his understanding. This is 12-year-old Jesus. And yet he clearly understands that he has a divine purpose and that his father's business and house and work and ministry and the, the things his father wants to accomplish is why he's there. This, this, is, this is who he is and this is what he's about. So we know this, these two things. It's a profound message to us that Jesus was human in all the limitations of a 12-year developmental awareness, and that he was divine in aware that his heavenly Father had a purpose for him to be here. 
And that purpose, of course, was to reconcile everyone and everything to the Father. And then last, Jesus, we know from this account, was obedient to both his earthly parents and his heavenly Father. As he grew into this 30-year-old rabbi and ready to do his public ministry, he was ready to fulfill the purposes of God. And Luke says it in, in very beautiful and, and poetic and, and yet very profound and simpl simple ways. Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew in wisdom. Stature. And the word there can mean not just the physical form, but the developmental uh, brain development. He grew in stature. And in favor with God and all humanity. Part of the purpose of Jesus coming in Advent, and that means the coming, was to help us know how to live lives that would be both earthly and divine, human and eternal. And he lived it out in such a way that we begin to recognize our human limitations and our divine aspirations. We begin to recognize that what God has in store for you and for me is that we live far beyond anything that we momentarily experience in this temporal and temporary world. We do that in two ways. First of all, by giving grace to ourselves and to others for our humanity giving grace to ourselves and to others for our humanity. And second, by giving encouragement and support and assistance to ourselves and others to fulfill the purpose of God in each of our lives. That each of us day, it is necessary that we are bound to the work of God in our world. That's the primary purpose that any of us have existence. And for Christians, we are to live into that purpose and live it each day of our lives. So let's stop and, and ask God, first of all, for grace. I know many, many people, beautiful Christians, who are very hard on themselves. And they are hard on themselves in part because they are Christians. They know there's something that they should be doing with their lives and they know that they should be living holy lives. Please pray for grace. Grace towards yourself, patience towards others. This wonderful experience of God's wonderful, limitless love. A love that is so profound that he accepts us just as we are. And then pray for God's power to become what he wants you to do. Living in that grace, respond to that grace before God. We're going to enter in in just a few days to, to New Year's resolutions, and they are powerless. But the transforming power of Jesus Christ to change us into his likeness is why Jesus came and is available to you and to me every day of our lives. It is my prayer that we will enjoy this ending of this Christmas tide and the beginning of the new year with God's grace towards all and his acceptance 
into his wonderful love with that supernatural ability. When Jesus appeared and when he came, he experienced the fullness of God. It is my prayer that we will as well. Let's spend time with God.